Well, praise God. If you have your outline, we are going to be all over the place in the scriptures, and I wanted to make sure that you were able to have most of them there. So the most of the pertinent ones are written down there for you. I am not going to read over all of them, though. And I will read some that you don't have. <laughs> Let you know about that ahead of time. But um, we want to take a look at this, to this part of the raising of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, you know, you just don't know to ask a question. And then suddenly you figure out, oh, I can ask this question and you can get an answer on it. I don't think I've ever asked the question before. How was Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Amen. And since we're on the gifts of the Spirit, I, I, it uh, was coming to me, well, did, was it through the gifts of the Spirit? How was it? And so I began to pursue this, this topic of how was Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Because it's important for us to know all the things that God does so we understand how he's working out here. There are about two dozen scriptures that tell us that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Twenty-three, if you want to know the exact number. Twenty-three scriptures all tell us that God, the Father, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind who did it. But how did he bring it about? Did God work through somebody on the earth? Did he use one of the gifts of the Spirit, working in miracles, faith, something like that? Or did he step in and alter the affairs of men? Now, if God just stepped in and this greatest of all the miracles that ever happened in the Word of God, if he just stepped in and did this miracle, the miracle that would have the most profound effect on our past, our future, and the things that are to come, then why is it that God can't step in and do other things? So we're going to take a look at this question. And I'm going to read it here, just a few of the scriptures. I put some of them in your in your outline. And we're just going to go through these real fast. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Now, there's no doubt who did it there, is it? Ephesians 1, 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Second Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Mm-hmm. Romans 8.11 But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If the spirit of him. Who is the spirit of him? The Holy Spirit. It is not the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. See, that spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit's going to dwell in you. But that spirit was not the one who raised Jesus from the dead. It was the Father. Another one, Acts 2.24, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Acts 3.15, But but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. 4.10, Acts 4.10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this man, this, this man, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. 5.30, Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. Acts 10.40, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Acts 
But God raised him from the dead. Verse 34. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead no longer to return to, to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That is not all 23 verses, but all 23 verses will tell you the same thing. God raised Jesus from the dead. How many things in the Word of God do we have 23 verses on that tell us what happened? Seems to be that God wants to make sure we understand it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. So there's no doubt who raised Jesus from the dead. But how could God have done it? Now, if you were to ask most people, how did God raise Jesus from the dead? Don't raise your hand, but you may have been thinking this too. It was a divine act. A divine act that he did. If you look in the past, in order for God to preserve humanity, he worked through Noah. To bless all humanity, he worked through Abraham. To establish a royal line, he worked through To redeem humanity, he worked through Jesus. If God worked through people to do these things, wouldn't it seem to be necessary to work through someone again for this? If God is desirous that all men come to be a place of salvation, why doesn't he pull the divine act and bring them all in? If it is God's will for people to be healed, why doesn't he pull the divine act and bring them all in? Why does he need the gifts of healing, the gifts of miracles, or the working of miracles, the gift of faith. Why does he need these to bring about the, these things on the earth if he can just step in and do it? If he can step in and by divine act bring Jesus Christ from the dead to have an effect upon humanity, then why is it he can't do anything else? See, I have a problem when something seems to hang out there by itself. All right, well, he has to work through men except for this one. So if he didn't do it by a divine act, then who did he do it through? Now, don't say the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not a man. And that would still be a divine act. So I began to ponder this, the working of miracles. If you look at the working of miracles like we have been, Someone is used to work the miracle through. There is somebody that God works through. They do something to bring the miracle about. So, I ask you this question. Who was at the tomb to work the miracle? Anybody there? Was there a soul on the face of this earth at the time of his death who believed he would be resurrected? The people he taught were over there boohooing, <laughs> crying. Yeah. Oh, Jesus has died. Oh, we're so sad. We thought he was the Messiah. Remember we looked at Mary and Martha? Mary was doing the stuff for preparation. If you're here on Friday night, we, we glanced at them briefly. What was Mary doing? How'd that preparation work for her? She wasn't ready, was she? Did she rise up and do anything great? She came to the tomb. What she's doing? Oh, gardener, if you took him someplace, let me know where he is. Come on. So if it's going to be working in miracles, there was nobody that we could see who showed up at the tomb who was believing that Jesus Christ was going to be raised on the third day. 
In fact, the angels who were there, what did they say? Why are you here? <laughs> Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Because they expected him to be dead. Mary and Martha, they're making stuff. They're coming to the tomb to do what? Prepare a dead body. Except he didn't cooperate. He wasn't there. So I can't see where the working of miracles is in effect here because there's no one by the tomb working a miracle that Jesus can work through to work the miracle. Then there's the gift of faith. Now, we haven't talked about the gift of faith too much. But in the gift of faith, the person is involved even less, but they're still involved. And obviously, being gift of faith, we don't have to do too much for you. You can pretty much figure out faith is involved. Is there anyone anywhere in Jerusalem who is in a place you would call faith for Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead? So, what we are to understand here is that the greatest of all miracles that happened in the Word of God happened without divine direct intervention, without the working of miracles, and without the gift of faith. How in the world did this thing come about? Well, I guess we'll all have to go study. Come back. No, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. There are two examples of healing in the Word of God. We are not going to study them. We have studied them uh, before, but I'm just going to make mention of them because I want you to see a concept that was going on with them. The woman with the issue of blood, the reference is there if you uh, need to go back and, and brush up on it. This is actually recorded in three of the Gospels, but uh, Mark, I like the detail that we have from, from Mark on that. But we know that this woman had received a great miracle. Jesus said that, that she had faith, but yet she was sick. She was still down with this thing. And we know that what she had done was she said with her mouth, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. And what happened when she touched the hem of his garment? She was healed. The second one, the centurion servant. Now we only have that he relayed this message, but I will uh, elaborate on this just a little bit, and I think you'll see we're, we're staying within the context of the story here. We know that the woman with the issue of blood said over and over. She said this over and over. She had people probably that were coming up to her and saying, what are you going to do? Well, if I just see Jesus, I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. Oh, don't get your hopes up. She had this kind of conversations probably going on. She probably said it a number of times, but the word of God says she kept saying, she kept saying. So we know she said it more than one time. The centurion, I can tell you at least three times he said this. When the servant was sick, he had to at least say it to himself. If I get Jesus... To say the command, this thing will leave. And then he called his people around to him. And they said, well, you go to Jesus and tell him this. And so, uh, actually, there was the Jewish leaders he did first. And so they went on and they persuaded Jesus to come. They thought that would be better and that would get more points with the centurion. Centurion saw him coming. I don't want that. And so he got his friends. And he said to them, this is the third time he said it at least. He probably said it other times. But at least three times he said this. I don't need Jesus to come. I just need him to speak the word and this thing will happen. And so they came. Jesus said, wow, such great faith I haven't seen in all Israel. And so he said, go your way. It's done. And so he spoke the words and it was done. So these two and two particular things are things we can look at to help us in this. 
The power of God in these two instances flowed because a confession paved the way for the power to change things. A confession paved the way for the power to change things. So, what would have done this? I believe I gave you all the references in here, but in Matthew 16, 21, 17, 23, 20 and 19, Matthew covers this quite a bit. I'm going to read a few of these to you. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. How does he do that? He says, all right, now that you got this, this is what's going to happen. Let's look at the list. He's, he's talking to him. I must go to Jerusalem. I will suffer a lot of things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. They will kill me. I will die. And I will be raised on the third day. Isn't that what he had to do? What's he doing? He's making a confession, isn't he? Matthew twenty nineteen. This is a different instance. It's in the same gospel. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify it. And the third day he will rise again. In Mark chapter 9 verse 31. I'm sorry, Matthew 17, 23. Missed that one. And they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. They heard what Jesus said. They were sad at the news. Peter even got upset at one point and pulled him aside. They heard the news. They heard Jesus saying this. It caused emotional responses on the inside. Jesus kept saying it. He said it to him once. He said it to him twice. He said it to him three times. That is recorded in the book of Matthew. How many more times did he say it to him? Mark chapter 9. Some of these are the same instance. Mark chapter 9 in fact, uh, pretty much is. In Mark 10, 34, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Luke 9, 22, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Luke 13, 32, this is just a little bit different. He said to them, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. They will, in uh, Luke 18.33, they will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. In Luke 24, I'm going to read the whole passage of 4 to 12. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when it was, when he was still in Galilee. He spoke it. Saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven to all the rest. And it was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And the words seemed to be to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose, ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. He departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, it's interesting 
that all three of those Gospels contain the words of Jesus teaching them these things. John does not. John doesn't include the accounts. Now here's something that's interesting though. John is the one who records that Jesus attended three different Passovers. Now by my counts, his ministry would overlap four Passovers. He had a three and a half year ministry. It ended on the Passover. Which if you count back, pretty sure you would get uh, four out of that, but maybe only three. I don't know how you, how you can do that, but anyway, when I was counting, I was kind of thinking, well, I think there's more than, more than three there. Uh, if you also notice, over in the wedding of Cana, he started around the Passover. Started a little bit before the Passover, and then he came up to that uh, Passover. That's the next recorded event after the uh, wedding in Cana, is that he attended the Passover. But he said over and over, on the third day. Have you ever wondered, why is it that Jesus had to be raised on the third day? Why not one day? Why not two days? Why not four days? How, how stunned... What's that? I mean, are you more... <laughs> sorry. Are you more dead after three days than you are after one day? I mean, you're just as dead, right? You're either alive or you're dead. That's, that's pretty much it. They were more marveling at Lazarus because he was raised on the fourth day. So if you want a greater miracle, you ought to go to the fifth day. But we didn't go to the fifth day, did we? We went to the third day. Jesus is very specific about this. It's going to be the third day. This is why we know he didn't die on Friday. We'll show you a little bit about this uh, going on here. He did not die on Friday night. Because he was dead three days. There was a reason why he was going to be raised on the third day. Now in Matthew 27, let me read this to you. Verse 62, 63, and 64. The next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Jesus said this enough that they heard it. And they were more mindful of it than his disciples. So I think you could say that Jesus said this pretty often. It wasn't just something that was two, three, four times. He said this pretty often. He's up there with the woman with the issue of blood. It would seem he kept saying so much so that they heard. Therefore commanded the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, why was this particular saying so powerful on the third day? I want to show you some things about the significance of the number three. It is the four, the first of four so-called perfect numbers. Did you know that there are four perfect numbers in the Bible? Three is a number for divine perfection. Seven is a number for spiritual perfection. Ten is the number for order, or, or, or order perfection, I don't know how you call, how you put that. And twelve is the number for governmental perfection. Now you can follow those numbers pretty quickly in Scripture, can't you? Twelve apostles, twelve tribes. You can you can hit those numbers in there. 
There are, but I take a look at this one three, the divine perfection number. There are three patriarchs: Abraham, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob. Now think about this on Isaiah chapter six and verse three, and in Revelation chapter four and verse eight, there are seraphims that are going around in the heavens, and they are saying, "Anybody remember? Holy, holy, holy." Y'all got that right three times. Three times. Three holies. Whenever they went around, they said in the Old Testament they said, "Holy, holy, holy." In the New Testament they said. Holy, holy, holy. That didn't change, did it? <laughs> After the great flood man of man that uh, God had done in the book of Genesis, Noah repopulated the earth with how many sons? Three. Three. This is going to be the easiest Bible trivia game that you will ever play. <laughs> when Abraham had visitors come and announce to him that his barren wife would bear a son in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14. How many came? Three. Three. (laughs) Baby Moses was hidden by his mother for how many months? Three months. How many parts is the tabernacle divided into? Three. How many is the temple divided into? Three. How many gates are on the New Jerusalem? Three. There are four sides. There are three gates. <laughs> Jesus was missing for how many days when he was 12 years old? He was missing for three days. Jesus took how many people with him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Saul was blinded for how many days? The Trinity is how many parts? Three. Father, Son. Holy Spirit. This phrase on the third day, I counted them up in Scripture, it occurs 48 times in Scripture. 17 are in the New Testament, the rest are in the Old. I want you to focus in on a few particular ones that really define what this is and what is going on on this. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 9 through 13, and for some reason... I don't think I carried these over, so I'll have to read them off of the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. This is the creation account. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth Grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in it, in in itself, on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit with seed is in itself, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, so it, the evening and the morning were The third day. I want you to notice this about the third day of creation. We all, we've gone over this before, but you know that we, Adam was not the first man on the earth. He was the first man among us. But there was a race of people that were here before that Satan himself brought into rebellion when he fell into rebellion. And that earth was judged. And we spent time going through the word of God to show you that why it is so, but you don't have to go too, 
too uh, deep in anything. I'm just going to tell you this part of it here right now. When we come into Genesis 1, what is the condition of the earth? Water covered the surface. The entire earth is covered in water. Because God used judgment to judge the earth. There was no light upon the earth. There was no land. There was no life. That God had judged the earth that was here with water. And the state upon which the Holy Spirit comes upon the earth is a state of judgment. You remember the words of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1? And the earth was formless and void. The Hebrew could be was or became. And if you go over to, I believe it is the book of Isaiah, it uses the exact same phraseology, and it says that God did not create the earth formless and void. If he did not create the earth formless and void, then the earth became formless and void. It was not in that state. The Genesis account is not the creation account. The Genesis account is the restoring of the earth. What I want you to see about this is the earth is covered in water. You cannot have water on any planet anywhere in the universe without having a sun and that planet close enough to the sun to warm up the water, to warm up the atmosphere because water only exists in a small, by, by the universe standard, a small sliver of temperature. That temperature cannot be artificially maintained. It has to be maintained by a sun. You must be above freezing and you must be below the temperature that causes it to be steam, which I think is like 220. So you're looking at about a 200 degree variance of temperature that that must be. You cannot maintain that without a sun. The sun is in place. The water is in place. Everything is in place, but it's under judgment. You need to know that for this. On the first day of creation, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And then he separated the firmaments so that the water went back up into the sky and acted as a protection. On the third day, on the third day of creation, God brought the land out of judgment. On the third day of creation, the land is brought out of judgment and life is restored to the planet. On the third day. Now here's something interesting about the creation account. The creation account spanned over how many days? Six, because the seventh he rested. When you have a period of six days, you actually have two third days. On the first third day, life is restored to the planet. Anybody know what happens on the second third day? This would be day six. What happened on day six of creation? Man is created. Both third days in the account of creation have life. That's one thing I want you to take a look at. Here is the second one. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on, the, on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
on the third day. What happened on the third day? On the third day, Isaac, who is under, you may not have thought about it this way, but Isaac is under a sentence of death. He is under a sentence of death and Abraham is taking him up to a mountain to fulfill the death that is on him. And in the midst of that, God stopped him. What day did God stop him? On the third day. God had him take a a journey that would take him three days to complete. And on the third day, he got there. Who is the, the, the one who comes before Jesus Christ that sets up God being able to give his son? What's his name? And the son? Isaac. Isaac is the one who is the firstborn of Abraham who is a type of the firstborn of God, but because Abraham was willing, who's in covenant with God, is willing to give his firstborn, God can thereby give his. And the death sentence that Isaac was under was stopped by God on the third day. Now, we got one more to take a look at. And this is in, I'm not going to read this one to you. But this one is in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, all Israel is gathered around a mountain. Anybody know what mountain this is? Mount Sinai. They're all gathered around the mountain. Now, if you read the, the Exodus account in chapter 19, you will find out that God said on the first day you're supposed to do this. On the second day you're supposed to do this to get yourselves ready. Because on the third day, on the third day, I will descend upon the mountain. On the third day, God comes down. On the third day in Genesis, life. On the third day with Abraham, the punishment is held off. On the third day in Exodus, God comes down. Can you see in the Old Testament that we are setting up the third day to be a day of power? The third day is a day of power. When Jesus is going around saying, I will be raised on the third day, he's not just picking a name, picking a day out of the hat. What he is saying is, on the third day, the day that Isaac was spared. On the third day, the day that God came down on the mountain to speak to Israel. On the third day, when creation, the creation account is going on, and life is restored on the earth. Now, I want you to go back to one more thing. Go back over to the Genesis account. Are we there? Go back over to um, the chapter 1, verse 13. I want you to notice something about this. When we count the days that Jesus was dead, when do we start? Now, people think he died on Friday night, so we start on Friday night, right? We start on the on the Friday night, and we go into the Saturday morning. But, of course, you don't do that. You go back probably Wednesday night, and you can make a case for Wednesday or Thursday. But anyway, you, you make the case whichever one you want to. But we start at nighttime. When do you wake up? How many people wake up in the morning? How many of you, your day is the morning and then the evening? How many live your days the morning and then the evening? But Jesus was dead from the evening until the morning. Go back up here and look at Genesis. So the evening and the morning were the third day. The evening and the morning were the third day. Jesus was raised in the morning, not the evening. He died in the evening. So his day went from evening 
to morning. Then the evening, and then the morning, and then the evening, and then the morning and resurrection came on the third day. Because way back here in Genesis, God says the day is from evening until morning. And yet we have never counted days like that. We count days from morning to evening. But here in the book of Genesis, God counted it from when? From the evening to the morning. Did you ever notice that before? <laughs> I want you to also take a look at this. When Abraham took Isaac up on the third day, where did he go on the third day? To the mountain. When God came down to visit Israel, where did he come down to? The to the mountain. When Jesus went to the Mount, mount of Crucifixion, he went to? The he went to the mountain. He went to the mountain. Wasn't all that tall of a mountain, but it's still called a mountain. Now, Jesus spoke of the sign of Jonah. Let's read that over. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, you, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they re repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. You cannot shortchange it and say, well, we can count Friday as a full day, and then Saturday, and then we'll, you know, we'll count Sunday, because that's three. That's wrong. Cannot do it that way, because he says right here, three days and three nights. You don't get three days and three nights counting from Friday. But, you know, we've, we've spent time on this before. There's double Sabbaths. Whenever you have a Passover feast, whenever you have a feast day that includes a Sabbath in the feast, that Sabbath is honored alongside any other Sabbath. So if the Sabbath that fell with the feast day was on Friday, you would have a double Sabbath. If you had the Sabbath, the, the feast day Sabbath fall on a Thursday, then Jesus would have been crucified on a Wednesday. And then they would have spent Friday to go out and get the stuff. I mean, when did they get to make the stuff that they brought down to the tomb? You cannot make that on the Sabbath day. You have to make it on a non-Sabbath day. So since Jesus died just before the Sabbath began, they didn't have time to make it. They would have needed a day. That's why I think there's a better case for Wednesday. But anyway, you can count three days and three nights that he was there. But you can get there a couple of different ways. But it, this is what we do know. He was there three days and he was there three nights. I know he didn't die on Friday. Could have died on Thursday. But whichever way it was, we know that it was fulfilled because everybody in the city knew this was the third day. His disciples knew it was the third day. His enemies knew it was the third day. The angels knew it was the third day. And Jesus knew it was the third day. There's no debate of anyone that took place in this story as to what day it is. It is the third day after his crucifixion. So I don't need to know all how, how all the Sabbaths fell that particular time. All I need to know is that Sunday was the third day. 
And you can see some of the things that went on with the third day. And what happened? But Jonah, this is going to be the sign for him. Jonah, most think, died in, in the, uh, in the fish. And was resurrected, which is why the people listened to him. If he would have just gone there normal, the way God said, they probably wouldn't have listened to him. But because he rebelled and went in a different direction, God had him sent there by a fish. They saw this fish come up, never saw a fish come up and spit a man up on the beach before. And they saw him, he looked dead, and all of a sudden he got up and walked off. Now, what do you have to say? <laughs> and so they listened. That's probably why they listened, is because they had a guy who resurrected, who looked dead and suddenly became alive. Because you know there was no feeling and no nothing from him. He wanted them all to die. Well, let's go, go one more scripture here. This is probably not a book that you read a whole lot. But Hosea, chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he has healed us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. On the third day, there will be resurrection that will go on. Glory to God. Now, the, re- the way that this thing happened is the way I, I see it, is that when Jesus was alive here on the earth, he took the opportunity to put these words into operation. On the third day, the woman with the issue of blood, her point of contact was touching the hem of his garment. And as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, what she said came about. She had faith before then, but what she said came about. She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, in order for her to have that point of contact, she had to touch the hem of his garment. The centurion needed Jesus to declare Jesus to tell this thing go and it would go and Jesus did that point of contact point of contact here we do not need a man for a point of contact here's what we need Jesus said on the third day on the third day on the over and over on the third day all that has to happen for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead to enact the power of God to come down into that tomb and raise him up on the third day as we know from 23 different scriptures that God the Father raised him up. All we needed for that great power to come down into the tomb was for the third day to happen. That's it. He didn't need anybody at the tomb laying hands on the tomb. He didn't need anybody rolling the stone away and calling out, Jesus, come forth. He didn't need any kind of working a miracle or gift of faith operating because while he was alive and enabled to operate as a man on this earth, he put certain things into, into play. On the third day. Why doesn't he exhort his disciples for not believing anymore? I don't care if you guys believe it or not. I'm putting this thing out here. On the third day. On the third day. All that has to happen is the third day has to show up. When the third day showed up, and it was early, because the third day showed up before any of them got up. As soon as the third day hit, Jesus Christ is raised. Taken out of that tomb. Because of the words that he spoke. Now look at this. 
if he could access the greatest power ever demonstrated on this earth in raising up Jesus from hell and paying the penalty for our sin, what can you access with your words? We have to understand this. This is a biblical concept. You've got to declare it. What God has said as something present or even something coming as Jesus did. Now, understand he had the will of God. He knew God said from the beginning on the third day, you're going to rise on the third day. I'm setting this up third day, third day, third day, third day is all through the Old Testament. And do you remember when Jesus ran into his friends? We didn't come, I didn't put that scripture in there, but he ran into his friends on the road to Damascus. And they saw sad, oh, it's the third day. And, and so, as a stranger, he took them through the Old Testament and showed them that it was necessary that he be raised on the third day. Because he knew all along what was going on. Every time he declared, the Son of Man shall be beaten, shall die, shall be put to death. But on the third day, every time he's saying this, on the third day, on he he knows I am giving an opportunity. I am leaving a trail for God to come down and legally bring his power into that tomb. Because it was a man, Jesus Christ, who said this, on the third day I will rise. And even though he is now dead, that power is still there. Remember when they threw a dead man into the tomb of Elisha? Touched his bones. What happened to that dead man? He came alive. Even though Elisha was dead. Wonder what kind of things he was saying to bring that thing about. See, this is why the devil works to corrupt. And this is, how, this is the way the devil works to corrupt it. I know... I'm going to catch that flu. I'm not talking about any kind of special flu. I mean, how many years we just have regular normal flu? And people are always saying, I'm going to catch that flu. I know it. Every time that flu comes around, I catch it. <laughs> right? Don't we say that? Aren't we declaring something in the future? Aren't we making that inroad right down there to us? Now, don't go, don't go crazy on the timing thing. Don't be saying, I believe I'm going to have a new car in two weeks. That's, you can't have faith for that. <laughs> There's nothing in the scripture that says in two weeks you're going to get a, a new car. Or that on the third day. <laughs> but if God comes to you and he tells you something that's going to happen, then you can declare it. See, this is what prophets did. God told them, this is what's going to happen. And they declared it. And when they declared what God said, that gave God the opportunity to bring through his power the thing they decreed. I'll give you a case and example. Elijah in the Old Testament. It will not rain except at my word. That's not because his words were powerful. It's because God told him, this is what we're going to do. And he needed to say it. And a man said it, opening the door for God to come down and work. Now, if we can open up the pathways of God by the words that we speak, how important are those words? If the greatest miracle in the New Testament, the one we celebrate year after year, 
is done because Jesus said on the third day. Now, if you've got a better description of how this thing happened, you all tell me. Because <laughs> I don't think there is one. But I say, but this one, this one sure works. This, this has God still operating within the rules that he set up. And God does not break rules. He doesn't need to. He understands them better than we do. This is why the devil wants to corrupt your words. He wants to de corrupt your declarations. People are declaring things over their life. I am depressed. I am a failure. I am no good. I'm no good to anyone. I have no, I am not, I will never be. We make these declarations. Not understanding that we're tapping into the same kind of power with these things to do good. Or we're given an opportunity for the enemy to bring evil into our lives. We spent more time and I could show you more places where the same principle is in operation. The people became in fear of things, spoke them and brought them about. But you can also be in faith about things and speak them about your life. Find out what God has declared. What has God declared for your life? What has God said? God, this is what you said. Because you said this, I believe this. You can have faith for things very specific in the future based on what God has said about you or for you. Stay in the Word. Keep learning the Word. The more you go through the Word, all of a sudden the light will turn on. Oh, I didn't see that it said this about me. I can declare this. I can say this. I can speak this. We hear people they all the time that go around, I am the head and not the tail. And that's great that you have that confession that you, that you, uh, you declare that, but you also have to walk in that light. We don't always walk in the light that we declare. Jesus walked in the light that he declared. He declared it and walked in that light. We got to do the same thing. It's not a matter of just getting out there and just saying stuff. Then I have to have a walk that, that backs it up. Faith, faith is talked about in the book of, of uh, James as having works. Works that, uh, that go along with it. Our faith ought to have some works to go along with it. Get your faith built up. Be careful of the words of your mouth. And just understand this. The enemy knows the power of these declarations. And he is trying to inspire you to speak things about your life. Don't, let, don't give him that place. Don't, imp, don't let him empower your words. Don't be going over there. I'm so frustrated with this whole thing. Don't give these, don't empower these things. Go over there and speak some life to this thing. Let's speak some hope to this thing. Let's, in, let's get this thing changed. Because this concept changed what God was doing for us and how he was ministering to us. This morning we celebrate communion. Getting back on our normal no more routine. Snow threw us off for a while and then we had some other things that threw us off and well we just wanted to get back on our normal normal schedule. Today is our first Sunday of the month, our communion day. This is where we we celebrate the communion.
What a great day to do this on the day that we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Glory to God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he didn't try and make any kind of faith declarations about, I believe this is not going to hurt. He knew it was going to. He didn't make any faith declarations like, Father God, I'm glad this won't come in between us. Because he knew it was going to. He didn't make any declarations that were against the will of God, against the plan of God that he had made. He understood what the plan was. He understood the downside for him in that plan. And in the garden, he worked it all out. And he got himself lined up with it. Sometimes we have declarations that we've made. We, we say some stupid stuff along with it. We make some declarations along the way. Father God, I thank you that I'm walking in faith and power and I don't have any opposition. I don't get any persecution. And that's not true. Because God also said that with the things that we do for him would come persecutions. They will come. Don't be afraid of them. Don't run away from them. Understand what it is that God is going to do and declare it with your mouth. Speak that thing. Get a picture of who you are in God and declare that with your mouth. Now understand, you've got to have a walk in line with what you're declaring. If God has shown you you're going to be operating in this particular ministry, say that, that God came to Isaiah and said, Isaiah, I've called you to be a prophet. And Isaiah says, well, that's great. I love the whole idea of being a prophet, but, you know, I really don't want to, I, I don't like reading. I don't like uh, spending a long time on my knees. Um, I don't like talking to people. No, there are certain things that had, he had to get out of. In order for you to fulfill what I have for you, you need to let that go. And sometimes we want to have fulfillment. God fulfill all that he wants us to do, but I want to hang on to my insecurities. I want to hang on to the things that, well, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't want to go there. Well, I don't want to go in this, this direction. We, we can't go in that, that way. Jesus Christ, in the garden, laid himself out and said, God, there's a whole lot of things about this plan that I don't like. I don't like what it's going to do for me. If there's another way, let's go ahead and do it. But if not, I'm ready. And we all know that was a difficult thing. He was beaten like no man had ever been beaten before. But he was willing to do it for us. Whatever call is on your life, whatever declaration that you make, whatever God has shown you, you declare with your mouth, this is what God is doing. Better know there's also going to be something from the kingdom of darkness to come against you. When Paul was entering into his ministry, God told the prophet, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Doesn't seem like God was going to stand in the way of that happening. 
But don't be afraid. Don't ever fear what the enemy wants to try and throw at you. Because the enemy cannot overcome you. Only you can overcome yourself. He's going to try and get you to make declarations that are destructive. Because the, he knows the power. He was beaten by this power of declaration. He was beaten by it. He knows its power. And he's going to try and get you to either not declare, not believe, not change your life. Some people will say, well, I'm too old. God can't do anything with me anymore. How old was Abraham? How old was Moses? We can keep on going. There's other people that were old too. And they did some things. Well, I'm too young. Is that right? How old was Samuel? How old was Daniel? How old was David when he started? Killing, killing lions and bears. You are neither too old nor are you too young for God to use. Listen to your mouth. Make sure you declare the same kind of things that, that God did through Jesus. And understand this too. If it's good just to declare it one time, how come Jesus didn't just say it once and be done with it? I mean, you know these guys aren't going to believe you. Just say it once, you got it in operation, and go on. Why did the woman with the issue of blood keep saying? Why did the centurion say at least several times? His statement of faith. Don't be content with saying it one time. Keep declaring it. Declare it all over. How many times did Abraham declare himself to be the father of many nations? Every time he told people his new name. My name is Abraham. My name is father of many nations. Every time he met somebody new, what he had to do? What's your name? My name is father of many nations. For a long time, that was hard. How many kids you got? None. Then for a while, how many kids you got? One. Father of many nations, huh? Doing a great job there. <laughs> Persecution will come. Don't think just because you declare what God is going to do one time, that's enough. You see, Jesus said it over and over because he was convinced this is where it's going. When you're convinced something is going to happen, you keep talking about it. What are you convinced that God is doing? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On his body was put our curse, our sickness, our disease was put upon him so that we do not have to bear it. I don't walk in fear of any sickness. I don't walk in any fear of any disease. I have been redeemed and I walk in that redemption. As we eat together, remember what he did. We, of course, do these together. He did them apart. He did the bread at the beginning of supper. He did the cup at the end. But at the end of supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents blood of the new covenant. The old covenant is done. We're now in the new.
Remember, there's nothing you have to add to gain forgiveness of sins. What Jesus did is all you need. Your righteousness won't add anything to it. You wear his. As we drink together, let's remember, we wear his righteousness, and it's by his blood. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Would you stand up with me? What are your words declaring over your life? What power are you putting to work? What things do people know will happen in your life by your words? They ought to know. They knew about Jesus. His enemies knew. That's how often he spoke about this. His enemies knew. Make sure that your friends and your enemies know what God is going to do through you. Father, we thank you that your spirit resides on the inside of us. The power of the third day is upon us. That resurrected life that is on us. I thank you for it. Thank you that just as Jesus declared what was coming because you showed him and he had faith to believe for it. We too can have faith to believe for those things you declare. And I thank you that you're bringing them about. Give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Folks, have a great rest of the celebration with family, whatever it is that you're going and doing. Some of you are traveling. Some folks are already traveling, but it's good to have you here.